0: welcome to vice and easy your podcast for all things miami vice with your host marina hello and welcome back this week we're going to be breaking down the prodigal son part two so continuing where we left off last week Crockett and tubs are still in new york and at the end of the episode the nypd who are first of all not happy to work with them in the slightest rough them up basically demand they get rid of the revia deal crockett agrees agrees to back off contemplates going back to miami and when Tubbs questions him as to why he would do this he explains he wants to throw the nypd cops off cut off the revia supply and grab a little bit more attention thereby being able to get in front of the revias so this is where we open up so we open up back at Club Delirious with Crockett and Tubbs explaining the deal to Jimmy Borges. Guess who rightly is not really down with this idea.
1: Cut off the Revia supplies?
0: You men are too much. Uh, why don't you just give me this gun? I'll, I'll blow my own brains out here. Save the Revia's a lot of trouble. Yeah, totally understandable why he would think that. (laughs) It's a very risky idea. And just as Crockett is going to the cigarette machine to buy a pack of cigarettes for one dollar and fifty cents in New York City, again, this is 1985. Today's dollars one fifty of 1985 would be the equivalent to four dollars and thirteen cents. However, that is maybe a quarter of what you could actually. I have a pack of cigarettes with in New York. So it's just very funny whenever you see, I remember when I was learning how to drive. So it was around 2007, we had a video from 1987 displaying the old gas prices and old, it was Canadians it was like Craven A cigarettes, $1.00. And then um, gas was like 40 cents a liter. <laughs> ah, the good old days, right? <laughs> rolling my eyes, but let's get back to the point. So cheap cigarettes aside, Crockett is at this cigarette machine and in the mirror in front of him, he can see someone with a gun in the reflection. He's able to, number one, call Tubbs's real last name, which I don't think Jimmy's ever heard. But surprisingly, that doesn't come up again in the episode. Not sure if it was a goof. Not sure if I was hearing things incorrectly because I clipped it about two, three times. Interesting. Jimmy doesn't catch on to that. Or maybe he does and it's too late once he knows that he's already working with cops. What's he going to do? So aside from that, well, the show happens. The man who is shooting at them is the same man who was in the bathroom with Jimmy, basically questioning who his out of town, friends were. So this has kind of come full circle. And actually the guy who opened fire on them, gets shot by Crockett and Tubbs. This is also where I want to bring up, I forgot to mention this last episode, Crockett's gun is missing. He had the little, I want to say, revolver on his ankle, but he doesn't have the gun that was in the holster because that disappeared when he spent the night with Margaret. So as he was woken up alone with the black satin sheets in her apartment as they were getting ready for the art show, remember, they were bringing in all this art installation. So that's happening tonight. So he goes back to Margaret's, walks through this art show, Took a lot. I took a couple pictures of it. It It's pretty cool. I really like the decor in her apartment. It's very much like a man's bachelor pad. It's kind of how I envisioned Patrick Bateman's, wow, Patrick Bateman's apartment to look when I was reading American Psycho. Super stylish, like slate blue, black, geometric shapes, but not as geometric as Jimmy's apartment. Really, really, really like it. I want to say she's my favorite. This and Jimmy's apartment, I'm going to see who I pick for my favorite decor because it is very hard to choose between these two themes, Crockett gets straight to the point once he sees Margaret. A man who really wanted to impress me probably would have brought flowers. My gun.
1: Whatever happened to Hello, Margaret? It's nice to see. Where is it?
0: Okay, a few points I want to make. That song is so sexy. (laughs) I had to, I was like listening and listening and listening to this clip over and over, and I was like, what part of the conversation do I want to use? Just. Wow, Brian Ferry, man. Like there is a reason. <laughs> just such a sexy song that is called Windswept. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on in music. Not only that, she's keeping his gun in her purse. Like basically she kind of takes him up to her bedroom or it's not even like up, basically she just takes him to her bedroom to give him the gun. So You've just been carrying around this gun in your purse waiting for him to come back. Very weird. He's also not having it, which I very much like. It's very akin to the scene in definitely Miami. uh, Shout out to Kyle, where the woman's kind of like pleading and pleading and pleading. And Crockett is just stone faced, puffing out his chest a little bit, not having it. Unfortunately, I wish he kind of kept that throughout the entire episode because he doesn't. But I took a really great picture. I really like her suit. Obviously it's way too oversized because she has a nice figure. She does not need to be wearing clothing that is 10 sizes too big for her. I understand this was the eighties. And if you're a woman in the eighties and you want to look more powerful, this is where that fashion kind of came about of oversized suits, shoulder pads, what have you to give that air of grandiose, You know, to be able to stand in a conference room full of men. I get it, but just great color on her, just not a great outfit. Crockett, I was, this is me and Tyra Banks' voice. I was like, I was rooting for you. After he's just like putting up, just wants to get his gun back, not having it, not playing into her flirty tone. Crockett lets me down.
1: i wait for you downstairs. Slumming again, Margaret?
0: Moth in the flame, Richard.
1: Yeah, sure. But which of you is which?
0: Uh, so that Richard is actually Peter Allen. Remember how last week I was going on about, oh my God, it's Peter Allen's Liza Minnelli's ex-husband, the boy from Oz. So that is actually Peter Allen. I think he might have been in that previous scene, but I couldn't get a look, good look at his face, but that is Peter Allen. He does not sound Australian here. Um, Not sure what that's about, if he was hiding his accent. So I tried to do the same thing, so I cannot judge him for it, but... I really, they packed this two-parter with cameos and I love it. And speaking of, let's check back in with Tubbs and Valerie because he finally, again, I don't wanna say stalks her, but basically he keeps going to her apartment unannounced (laughs) while she's undercover. Basically, she answers the door and starts playing the voicemails that he's left on her answering machine and he wants to know why she's not seeing him. Basically, again, she's reiterating she's undercover, she's going under, she's doing what it takes. He, like I mentioned again, he's not really empathetic or sympathetic to what she's going through. And this is what he really gets in return.
1: Okay,
2: I've heard the messages, you're satisfied? At least you can be straight with me. Even when your sister was deep in it, at least she was upfront about turning tricks. Oh, Rico.
0: Uh, yeah, he rightly deserved that slap to bring up her dead sister. So then we're back at Margaret's place. Crockett is waking up again in the black satin sheets. He puts on this bathrobe. It's actually, he looks really good in it because it's, I want to say, it's a shiny black with a pattern on it. It's, I need to zoom in a little bit. I saw like a more zoomed in picture, but I'm just looking at them on my phone while I'm talking about the episode. Because he goes to stand... <laughs> in front of this circle cut out of her wall, watching her as she's on the phone in the living room. And he says what every woman wants to hear right after they've been intimate with a man.
1: I feel like I just went two out of three falls with Hulk Hogan.
0: What is that supposed to mean? Does that mean that he's very tired? Because that's what I would hope he meant. So basically he's asking her, like, what's going on? She seems kind of agitated from the phone call. It's not a, you know, it's not a happy phone call. It seems to be late at night. I'm assuming, you know, two, three in the morning. So she's lamenting that it's just business and she's fine. And then. Crockett. I'll just play the conversation. I will cuss out Crockett after this has been played.
1: Cut through your defense system one
0: hell of a woman. Oh, Crockett, that's not her defense system. She's. Oh. <laughs> this also bugs me because it reminds me of myself and giving too many chances to people because, quote unquote, they've been hurt. And as someone, who's gone to therapy and like really had to deal with a lot of my issues I tend to extend too much courtesy and let people treat me like crap in return I'm mostly talking about men because I'm like oh you know they've been hurt if I extend that kind of courtesy to them maybe they can grow and heal like I have but it's like no I spent thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in therapy doing my own work like why am I extending these why am I allowing this behavior? Because quote unquote, they've been hurt. And especially, oh my God, like guys my age, ask them what their trauma is. It's like, my parents have been happily married for 20 years and I dated one girl in high school and she broke up with me. <laughs> like actually legit, that's like multiple guys I've dated. There was their trauma. It's like they dated one girl for a couple years and it didn't work out. I was like, wow, that must've been really hard for you growing up. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh. So I think that's why I'm really, really projecting with this one. It's like, Crockett, like, you can, you deserve better, Crockett. <sighs> okay, sorry, I'm gonna play the rest of this conversation.
1: Be nice if one part of my life was real. Is your name really Burnett? My first name is Sunny. What are you really like? Flip side of Burnett? Sometimes,
0: I don't care. When he says, it'd be nice if one part of my life was real, that really hit deep with me. That is a really profound statement because his whole life is constructed. His boat where he lives, where he lives, his neighbors don't even know who he are. He's undercover. He's known as Sonny Burnett. So I can see why he is attracted to Margaret thinking that she is similar to him and that she too is living a life, but really wants a genuine connection and wants that genuine love that Crockett does. So I think that's why this also gets to me too. Oh my God, my notes, I also said he can do better. (laughs) She's a beautiful girl. It's not that, it's just her personality. It's just her personality. And now as we move on, Crockett and Tubbs are staking out a vantage point for the basically they got the intel on the drop point that Jimmy was able to muster up after getting shot at. Which, to be fair, I think, like Mike Tyson says, everybody has a plan to get like punched in the face. And then all that thinking goes to the wayside. So Jimmy gave up the the drop spot at the Ravia brothers after that whole shootout. So Crockett and Tubbs are staking out a guy scuba diving he has all the scuba gear i don't know how deep he's going it doesn't look like he has the cans on his back but or he's diving let's just call him a diver so he picks up the cocaine puts it on to a little platform gets up puts his diving stuff into his trunk i made a gif of this please go to the gallery right now advice and easy podcast gallery on imager puts everything in his trunk takes the bricks of cocaine puts it into his passenger seat (laughs) I have no idea. It just, why that was so appealing to me. I just laughed so hard and I have no idea why I found that so funny. And so they follow him to the Ravia's drop spot. And it's kind of just like this regular storefront gated. So he makes the drop, a Crock and Tubbs wait, you know, a minute or two once he leaves the scene. Go, as um, Tori would say, Tubbs, fetch the bolt cutters. They break in. They're able to snag the coke, take it with them. Again, putting it into the passenger seat. I do not know why this is a thing. I would think that maybe that is where I would keep my illegal drugs. And also you're in a convertible and also you're smoking. I just think that I would just want to not have anything flying into the car, not have any ashes or like cigarette butts get in there. I just would put it in. If I were transporting cocaine, I would just I would simply keep it in my trunk. I don't know what's going on with these guys, why they're just putting in the passengers. <laughs> Too funny. And then they end up blowing up the Rivia's drop spot. So they are serious. They are serious in sending a message to the Ravias. And, and Tubbs did also have like a small conversation while this was all going down about whether or not Rico's going to stay in New York or whether he's going to return to Miami. Dun, dun, dun. So now the news has reached the Rivia's. So we see the, sorry, I have to keep self laughing. He actually looks so handsome. He's in like a bright pink undershirt with a light pink or maybe like a rose, dusty rose vest in his apartment getting the news that their drop point has basically been blown up. So he tells the other guy, the other brother who goes out onto the solarium slash patio or exits the solarium onto the patio and kind of contemplates while the camera pulls back. Great scene and a massive solarium, massive, massive, massive. And so now let's place a scene. So their vias know what's going on. They know that someone's cutting off their supply. Crockett and Tubbs are getting that message through. So while they're waiting in the hotel room, Crockett, looking impeccably handsome in a navy t-shirt, white pants, picks up the phone, stands by a mirror, so there's a really cool shot of him being mirrored, basically saying they mean business in this next clip.
1: He is in person, or there's no deal at all.
0: All right, so they're finally getting their meeting with their Vias in person, but... Not everybody is happy to hear this. NYPD, including a new Officer Renee, Lieutenant Renee, uh, the guy from Boston Public. I think he was the principal in Boston Public. That's how that's that's how I knew him. They all meet on the rooftop in a really well-shot scene, but you can tell the sound is pretty crappy because I can imagine how windy it must have been that day.
1: You upset certain balances, there'll be a bloodbath. There's the larger picture to look at. Oh, the hell with the larger picture. Either you want these Indians or you don't. Simple as that.
2: We want them. Yeah, but this isn't Miami. There are certain rules we all play by. Yeah, Well, you don't follow those rules and play them too aggressively, because the Reveas are still out there. You two are history. With our own people, we set up a new investigation. Fine,
1: good, done, next. But you better tell the Reveas that because they're expecting to meet us tomorrow
0: night, pal. Ooh, good for Crockett and Tubbs. So they're right, they have all this leverage at NYPD. NYPD can't take the investigation back and they can't just kick Crockett and Tubbs out because they have a face-to-face meeting with the Ravias. But I also want you to remember what he said about the bigger picture. That's it. <laughs> Sorry, that'll never not make me laugh. And even when I'm trying to use that in a serious way. <laughs> oh. Well, so now we are back on the streets of New York. We're about to go to a restaurant. Valerie is dropping off Sacco. But Sacco's having lunch with two men, with with one man and a familiar face. Is that, is that Margaret? He's doing European cheek kissing too? Indeed it is. So Valerie sees this, she knows what's going on. So just keep that in mind. And she sees them walk off. Presumably to do business together. So that's a little interesting tidbit I want you to keep, keep locked out. Also, what I pointed about her outfit. So 80s, she's wearing multiple pearl necklaces, but she has them pushed back, well, pushed back against her collar so that the, actually the necklaces dangle down on her back, which is so 80s. I love it. So after we leave I'm Margaret and them doing lunch, we are gonna go check in on Jimmy Borges. Crockett takes his car. Oh yeah, the whole time they've been driving Jimmy's car. I don't know why they just couldn't rent a car or use, you know, an undercover car from the NYPD. But they're using Jimmy's car. They're using like the beautiful yellow convertible. They drive back to Jimmy's apartment. Nobody answers. Nobody's there. So they're kind of just checking out, playing with the decor. Please go see pictures of this apartment. It is wild in how it was decorated. Just lots of colors, lots of geometric shapes. So as Crockett and Tubbs are walking around the apartment, Crockett's playing with the toy, notices a faint trail of blood leading to the elevator. Open up the elevator, it's Jimmy sitting down with a bullet through his skull. He's dead. At the same time, two hitmen are also after Crockett and Tubbs. So a huge shootout occurs in this beautiful 80s geometric apartment One of the henchmen looks incredibly familiar. I included a photo of it. Basically, Tubbs was using him as a human shield against the other hitman once they ran out of the loft and went their separate ways. And I cannot ID him. I cannot... So if anyone knows who this guy is, he's um, in the picture with the caption, he looks so familiar. So if anyone knows who he is, please feel free to get in my DMs. Now, Tubbs is extra pissed. He not only has found all this out today. He's almost just been killed. So guess who he goes to follow up with? Our girl, Valerie. And so rightfully Tubbs is pissed, on edge. Once again, going to visit Valerie unprompted and unwanted at her apartment. Knocks on the door, furious, asking to know why Sacco attempted to kill him. She tells him he doesn't know. Go back to Miami and just let this be. Sacco pops out of her apartment door, shoots at Tubbs, Tubbs shoots back, Sacco's dead. Unfortunately, um, that's not the way that this was supposed to go. And Valerie's rightfully freaking out on him for ruining basically a three year long investigation. Tubbs, after checking his wallet, does bring up a good point.
2: What have you done? How long has the soccer organization investigation been going down? Two years, maybe three. You've blown this whole thing wide open. What are they waiting for, huh? Will they have enough information in three years to go to a grand jury? What the hell's going on here?
0: And we could touch a little bit more on federal charges later. But first, I want to bring up the same advice that Tubbs gave to Angelina that he's now giving to Valerie.
2: Why don't you open your eyes? And- <laughs> I can't.
0: And Valerie, rightfully and justifiably very pissed off at Tubbs, pulls a gun on him, tells him to really get out, and then if he wants to know more, why doesn't he ask Crockett's friend, Margaret? Dun, dun, dun. Speaking of Crockett. So after him and Tubbs split up after that shootout at Jimmy's house. Crockett, naturally, very surprising. Please hold on to your hats. Crockett is sitting alone drinking a shot of whiskey at the bar. I will say what's interesting is that he seems to always drink out of shot glasses even though... He's not taking shots of it, like he's not consuming the entire drink at once, he's sipping on it. So I don't know why he just doesn't order it in a rocks glass, maybe he just wants to get straight to the point. But yeah, it's very surprising to see Crockett alone in a bar. He's staring at this woman as if he knows her. You know when you kind of get that nervous look in your eyes when you might see someone that you might know and you're not sure how you're gonna be able to talk to them. So basically he sees this tall woman in a blue short. I wanna say it's a wool dress, It's very cute dress, but it's obviously not Margaret. Margaret has very short hair and this woman has her hair clipped back up. So I don't know what they were trying to do with this. Then Crockett leaves the bar, it's raining. So he starts jogging to the payphone covering up with his coat, his jacket, I mean. And it was a great shot of him alone in the payphone at night in the cold, in the rain with his white jacket and um, basically like unfolds the lapels to warm himself up. Makes a call to Tubbs. Tubbs has some news for him. And after a beautiful B-roll shot of the street in New York, presumably Margaret Street, where there's a pale blue kind of art deco-y building off to the left that you can see in the gallery, which I just want to clue just for that reason. So now we don't know what time of the day it is. It looks a little bit, it could better be like very early morning or twilight. I think I'm gonna say early morning. They knock on Margaret's door. She opens the door. They are pissed off and rightfully so as she welcomes them into her apartment she is smoking a cigarette and appears to be drinking whiskey so no wonder crockett loves her <laughs> crockett's just like oh she smokes cigarettes and drinks whiskey perfect done put a ring on it <laughs> that's all crockett needs and like, and actually i love again i keep talking about her apartment i was talking about the bedroom and the black satin sheets now we're into the living room I'm going to give it like a 7 out of 10 like Cocaine Palace Chic. I think it could use a little bit more, but maybe they're trying to show that New York City is a little bit more subdued with their personal design, which far from it. But I think in this case, that's maybe what they're trying to exemplify because everything's like a little bit more neutral and less gaudy as it is with most of the Miami apartments. But still 7 out of 10. And as they make their run into the apartment, again, neither of them are sitting down when they're talking to her. I want you to look at the blocking in the picture on the gallery. They're really not having it. They're not trying to be friendly. They just want to get down to business and want to know what she's doing with Sarko. Rest in peace. And why people are trying to kill them.
1: Keeping tabs on me, Maggie.
0: Wasn't supposed to fall in love with the Marks, honey. I tried to call you yesterday and warn you. Sonny, please. I didn't know it was gonna go this way. Who
1: do you work for?
0: Go back to Miami.
1: Too late, they're trying to kill us. Who the hell do you work for?
0: I don't know the big picture. I never do, I never have. I just do a job, public relations.
1: That's what I am. No. Like public park public toilet what's it about
0: i told you i don't know ah sunny 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 so basically she's getting the shame same spiel that scotty wheeler that she basically sells information which i don't know why people say that so flippantly that is espionage that is a very personal form of betrayal. Like, I don't know if people are like, oh, I'm just telling people who want to kill certain people where they're going, what they're doing. No, that is incredibly invasive and horrible. Like, stop downplaying that. So I guess it's just kind of like a lack of self-awareness, but she doesn't really, again, doesn't know the big picture. Remember, big picture. Message. And part of this big picture is a business card, a shiny business card, if I may say so. Patrick Bateman is just like freaking out right now at this shiny business card. Basically says the business card does not have a phone number listed on it. JB Johnson, Esquire, Chairman. No company named. Address is 111 Park Avenue, New York, New York. No postal code. Suites 222 to 224. This is what she gives them. They then go, in the rain to a building with the number 405 and they don't just glance over this 405 like they focus in on the 405 for like a second or two and then they pan the camera all the way up to the top of the building so just saying a little bit of continuity here
1: boy i really hope somebody got fired for that blunder.
0: and as they make their way into this incredibly cool 80s i want to say kind of liminal i might be using that word wrong but super well-lit kind of balanced geometrically symmetrical super cool office this lady was basically telling them you can't go in there blah blah blah. how are they know where he's working they know what suites he has they go straight in to visit him and it's this tall skinny gentleman in a gray suit with his back turned to them looking at the newspaper he knows exactly who they are and exactly what they come here for and then proceeds to read them like filth in this next clip.
2: Ricardo Tubbs, Security Central Bank of Florida, checking $347.62.
0: Okay, I will also say that the rest of this clip is that he does mention that Tubbs has stocks. And he says, low yield loser bonds. (laughs) So kind of insulting. So in today's equivalent, Tubbs' checking account has about $957.17, which is pretty fair for a checking account. I don't keep a lot of money in my checking account in case um, my car gets compromised or something or hacked. So I try to split my money up into different saving accounts. So there's nothing wrong with having that. I've honestly, especially bartending, when I made cash tips before COVID, I'd sometimes have like $7 in my bank account because I just had to go make a deposit or I wanted to split up my deposits and pay off, you know, my MX bell first or what have you, or put some into savings, you know, split it up at home and then put it where I needed to be. So I never really kept anything in my checking account. So he did not need to read them like that. I would have been personally a little bit offended, but basically what he's trying to do here is to solidify his power and be the dominant one to basically be the alpha male in the room that he knows everything about them. And this actor who's playing Johnson, his name is Johnson. Sorry, J.B. Johnson. His name is Julian Beck. Very well known as a theater actor in New York City talk a little bit more about him and Vice T because there's a one sentence from Wikipedia that may just be the best thing I've ever read on Wikipedia. But sadly, he passed away from cancer two weeks before this episode aired. So unfortunately, he was already sick and succumbing to some his stomach cancer as he was filming this episode. But let's get back to the plot. This is a very, very, very interesting scene. And I really want you to listen It's a very long clip, but I really want you to listen and ingest this because I think it's important not just for this episode of Miami Vice, but basically for the message they've been playing. They basically play on for the entire season and it's something that's still going on now. And he talks extremely calmly. So basically Crockett and Tubbs are like, where are the cops you've been trying to kill? What's going on? Blah, blah, blah. And he basically just spells out exactly what's going on in like such a great way with such a beautiful delivery and cadence This is the clip in question.
2: American dollar is the best brand there is in the world. Now those of us who have it can make more of it by loaning it to those who don't. Not so long ago, our bank loaned a lot of money to our friends in Latin America. We are talking... About hundreds of millions of dollars. Now they aren't going to repay that by selling straw bags and clay pots. If these Latin borrowers default we would be decimated and we are America. We are the entire free world. When we sneeze everybody catches cold. That's why it's very, very important that we nurture and protect our Latin brother's major cash crops. Especially those that he measures in kilos. Are you sure you wouldn't like a drink? What I want
1: is answers. I want to know why a Wall Street address is running interference for a couple of bloodthirsty Colombian peasants. I want to know why murder and mayhem are suddenly footnotes on a balance sheet.
2: Look, all you need to know is that you're just along for the ride. It's a big boat. Why rocket?
1: I don't give a damn if it's a USS Enterprise, pal, or who's on it or why. Our job is to rocket, and if it sinks, so what?
2: I doubt that's gonna happen. No? How's it go now? Discreet phone call to some Ivy League buddy. A little button down talking, and, talk, and then suddenly two South Dade cops become tin ducks in a shooting gallery. Without backup for a major bust. That door leads to the outer hallway.
1: can't touch you i know that too many roadblocks politics favors but you're dirty ace and i'm patient
0: of incredibly pertinent points of that whole monologue and what ties into the theme of Miami Vice throughout its entire run is that Crockett and Tubbs are just along for the ride the entire Vice team that the players may change certain someone who is going to take over their place until you can get and fix the problem from the top a new branch is always going to sprout You have to take it out by the roots. So I could understand how it just feels like this fruitless endeavor to keep going after and going after these guys when you have, again, like powerful American banks who are invested in this. And I am not surprised at all. Again, I am going to have a disclaimer that I grew up in banking. My parents are both bankers. And it was the complete opposite where you basically had to double check everyone, everything. I've never witnessed any shady stuff going on, very much so, especially after 9-11, the Patriot Act, what have you. Banking definitely changed a lot and you do a lot of background checks into who you're lending money to and what you're lending money to. My dad would actually go to a lot of different countries and go on site to see what was going on, how the business was operating, whether or not he felt like this business would make a profit, whether they'd be able to pay back their loans. So I saw a lot of the due diligence that went on with banking as well. So obviously, this is not the situation that my parents were involved in. But the other point I will agree with, because this is also what I was taught growing up, that the American dollar is the most valuable currency in the world. Obviously, I know that at the time of filming in 1985, the British pound would have been worth worth much more. But internationally, the American dollar is where it's at, especially when you're traveling to Latin America. My dad always taught me, you know, bring American dollars with you. Always have an American dollar account when I was in Canada. And then now that I'm in the US, making sure to save as much as I can and to buy American stocks. I was always taught the importance of the American dollar. And it's not exactly only why I came here, but it is always in my mind to save as much money as I can in American dollars because it's so much more valuable and it will never depreciate the same way that other currencies in the world can because it's so well protected. So keep that in mind as well. So after they leave their meeting, justifiably pissed. We pan in on Valerie as Valerie and Tubbs is playing by Jan Hammer, And she's looking at the smash picture of all three of them of Tubbs, Valerie and her sister, Diane. And it's really sad, really, really, really sad. Her phone is off the hook, which I'll also want to know that, So she's not able to receive any calls. And then we pan to Crockett and Tubbs looking despondent in their hotel room. Also, Crockett is smoking inside. There's an ashtray on the floor that he's ashing his cigarette into. There's no window open and they're in this tiny room. Like, I was like, guys, open a window. He's poor tubs, man. <laughs> Secondhand smoke. <laughs> and they're pondering and they're getting serious. They get dressed and they're both looking incredibly handsome. So Crockett is in a that light blue short sleeve Henley I like white pants and like a beige cream color place where it's like a darker than cream, not ecru. Like I want to say beige and then Tubbs is looking really nice in a gray jacket, suit, black undershirt and a gold tie. And they're there to meet the revias. The Ravias are kind of basically saying like, oh, you know, we're not going to play that game. Tubbs responds in kind of crappy Spanish. <laughs> and then the revias do not warm up to that at all.
1: I don't like you. We didn't come here to make friends.
0: Yes, like contestants on The Bachelor, they did not come to make friends. So again, the reviews are really put off by Crockett and Tubbs. Basically, they drop this briefcase on the ground. And as Crockett bends down to open it up, Miguel slams it down with his foot. And just as they're about to get ripped off by the ravias, guess who pops in to save the day. Our girl Valerie. as the shoot occurs, they're able to get most of them. One of the ravias, the shorter one, I forget what his name is. I'm so sorry. I tried to keep track of all of them. Any brothers? I just can never keep track of them. basically the short one with the hat who says, "I don't like you to crockett and tubs." he runs off runs off into a helicopter, is able to take off in the helicopter as Crockett continues to shoot at the helicopter, thinking that he's getting nowhere. So he fires off a ton of bullets. I want to say it was like 10 or 12. So I was like, wait, where are these? Where is this ammunition coming from Crockett? But I digress. As he's shooting at this helicopter, he finally is able to get something. The helicopter comes crashing down. Um, you can just see on the gallery, it's just like pieces of paper. Like it's not actually parts of the helicopter, but whatever. Again, this is made in 1985, not in 2022. So after that, after Valerie comes to the rescue, she and Tubbs make up for lost time. Well, Take Me Home by Phil Collins plays in the background. And when I mean making up for lost time, you know exactly what I mean. Please look at this picture in the gallery of their feet I do not know how you can position yourself during that act in order to get your feet to be where they are. It's a very network TV love scene in 1985. Very much appreciated. And again, yeah, so Kruk is kind of cleaning up the hotel room, packing up, getting ready to go. Kind of like, as we see Valerie and Tubbs reconnect. Tubbs, all types of stuff is still there in the hotel room. And again, it looks like they're maybe sharing one room. I think there's a room in the background, but there's this one room that has tubs of stuff in there. So Crockett kind of like looks wistfully at it leaves and he's so incredibly dressed he's the best dress of this episode he's wearing a white blazer white pants black shirt his tortoiseshell wayfarers and he has like really classy leather luggage too which i really appreciate just looks like a million bucks and his undershirts gray like it's not as bright as his usual undershirts so i really like that too he's kind of sporting neutrals but still making it very miami so as he gets the cab on his way to the airport Um, The super lax security system, speaking of things pre 9-11, just basically kind of like walks through the metal detector, flips his badge, walks through, grabs a newspaper at the airport, reading through. And then guess who we see run through the security gate, run down to the gate to buy a ticket from the ticketing agent? It's Tubbs. And the music still plays as they finally say one last thing before they head back to Miami.
1: Fancy meeting you here.
0: Oh, that's nice. Because remember, as I mentioned earlier, that Tubbs was kind of toying with the idea of staying back in New York, so it turns out he's chosen to come back to Miami chosen to stick with Crockett and as they enter OCB it is just like nothing has changed like it's noisy it's loud they're not really welcome back in like the way that you would expect because I'm assuming they were there for a couple of weeks if Margaret was falling in love with the mark and they were intimate together twice I'm maybe a a week or two so basically Castillo comes back hands Tubbs a jacket that's I'm going to use the proper terminology he's going to hand he hands tubs the jacket and basically says he wants to up surveillance on Newton blade, a cage and Jean Simmons. Who we met in the first place. And then Crockett goes back to his desk. He sees Gina. She's looking really good. She says she's going to be back to work in a couple of weeks. She's wearing a very pretty kind of like canary yellow, like a soft yellow suit. Her arms still on a sling. Cause of course she's been shot looking great too. She has a really nice shade of lipstick. It's kind of like, Um, A very berry pink. She looks like a million bucks. She looks so good here. And I wonder if they made her just look extra beautiful as like a reminder to Crockett. Like, look what you had. And look what you're putting up with in New York. And almost got you killed. And it is kind of nice. So Crockett gets his phone call. He runs back to his desk. And... This person on the phone is rushing, rushing, rushing. And he's looking for a pen, looking for something to write with, kind of like scrambling. And Gina just gently hands him a pen and smiles. And then Tubbs comes from behind her and hugs her. And it's a nice little reunion. And then that's it, end of the episode. That is the end of our two-parter of Prodigal Son. That was a really fun, packed two-parter. I don't think I've seen an episode of Miami Vice that has been as packed. and. I get it because they were really at the height of their popularity. Like imagine how big everything was. And I do wanna put this into context because like now we have streaming, we have so many ways that you can divide our attention. Back in the eighties, you basically really only had the major three networks. This is before Fox, we had ABC, NBC, CBS. You might've had some cable channels, but basically, maybe HBO was around in the eighties. If anyone can verify, please, uh, verify, please let me know. So basically, you were very limited to what you saw on television. You couldn't really you could record on your VHS or your Betamax, but you couldn't stream. There's no DVR. So Zeitgeist was extra Zeitgeist like this was in the moment. So just imagine how popular Miami Vice season one was having to wait that whole summer watching reruns so you could wait and get started on season two. So just to kind of put that into how culturally culturally significant this two parter was kudos kudos all around and so with that let's break this episode down let's start with some refreshing vice tea so this episode i really want to give an, a, a nod a shout out to the casting because they packed it full of new york talent gene simmons obviously being the most notable um most well known but also you have charles ludlon and Everett Quinton, they were the pushers right before we kind of cut to the second part of the series, a second part of the episode that didn't want to deal with the revias. You know, like, oh, you guys are cute, but we're still not going to go in these revias. They were both big theater players in New York City. Then of course, let's circle back to Julian Beck. Super interesting guy, born in 1925. He founded the Living Theater with his wife, Melina. And unfortunately, like I mentioned, he did die 13 days before this episode aired in 1985. I'm going to read you a sentence from his Wikipedia that may be the best sentence I've ever read on Wikipedia. Melina and Beck shared a lover in Lester Schwartz, a bisexual shipyard worker who was the third husband of Andy Warhol acolyte Dorothy Padler. What a sentence. I might have mispronounced that last name because again, with my crappy handwriting, And then other guest stars include Anthony Howell. He was Commander Rene. I keep saying Lieutenant Commander, whatever. Some guy Rene, he was basically on the rooftop in that pale mauve suit. I knew him from Boston Public. I believe he was the principal of Boston Public, which was a wild show. I do not know why I was watching that show why when it was airing. Um, also because I did go to public school, so it was, like, extra funny. <laughs> wasn't as wild, but I remember kids were talking about spiking. We didn't obviously have ecstasy at the time, but there was that. They kind of wanted to pull the same thing that happened on the show, where the kids spike the older teachers' coffee with ecstasy. So... <sighs> Maybe not the best show or like, you know, just you can't you can't stop kids from watching it. But I was like, oh, I'm sure there were a lot of copycat incidents after that. And then Susan Hess, who played Margaret, she was actually a ballerina for the San Francisco Ballet. Super cool when she was younger, before she modeled. And then um, her acting career kind of tapered off in like 2012. So this was a very jam packed episode because, again, other guest stars include Penn Gillette, Rest in peace, Jimmy. Gene Simmons. They really, really, really packed it in. And especially Peter Allen, Mr. X, Mr. Liza Minnelli. How do you go from someone as handsome as Peter Allen, who presumably was in the closet or maybe not so much when they were married? How do you go from that to David Guest? Liza, Liza, Liza. <laughs> I don't think she's ever married a straight man. Yeah, the more I think about this. Sad woman. Well, all let right. right, let's, let's change topics a little bit. Absolutely no surprise. My best dress might be a tie, might be a tie, but I think I'm always going to go with Crockett in the end. Crockett walked in the airport with the gray undershirt, white blazer, wayfarers, white pants, white shoes. Looks so good reading the newspaper. Please go check it on the gallery. It's the first picture. It's the thumbnail. And then my second place, obviously going to be Miguel Ravia played by Luis Guzman. Oh, sorry. That was another guest star I forgot to mention. I know him from waiting. He's been everything. He is hilarious. And like someone just commented, he doesn't age. Like he looks the same as in 1985 as he does now. So I don't know what his secret is, but I really loved him in that silk pink top. And then he was wearing green. I really like that they put him in a lot of bright, not two pastel colors, but like very solid, powerful colors in this episode. You know, I guess he was leading a cartel. you got to dress for the job you want, not the job you have. So I respect that. All right, now for music. It's also a good thing that I basically split this episode into two parts. There were 14 songs used for this entire episode. I will read them down as follows. Caribbean Queen, No More Love on the Run by Billy Ocean. I've never heard it as No More Love on the Run. I've just heard it as Caribbean Queen. Pronouncing correctly, I know that's the way the song goes. Then Glad by Traffic, never heard of it. Pleasure Seekers by the System, never heard of it. Tell Like It Is, Aaron Neville. You belong to the City by Glenn Fry, my favorite song from the entire Miami Vice soundtrack history. After that, Many Rivers to Cross by Joe Cocker. Pride in the name of love by you too. Do you believe in love by Hugh Lewis in the news? White stuff by fashion. That was in that little montage. The one I also put onto TikTok. Good night, ladies by Lou Reed in that last scene with, um, Charles Ludlund and Everett Quinn. That was actually very fitting. That was a great song. Then in part two, there's only four mainstream songs. We have Goodbye Girl by Go West. Windswept, which is the super sexy song when Crockett goes back to retrieve his gun for Margaret, ends up staying the night. Such a sexy song. Brian Ferryman, what a... It's also thinking about Jerry Hall. Like You go from being his muse to marrying Rupert Murdoch. And having Mick Jagger in between as the father of your children. Just what a life. I would like to see your tell-all book, Jerry Hall. If you are listening, which you are not, please, 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 please tell us all the tea. So after Winslet by Brian Ferry, Rubber Miro by Liquid Liquid, and then Take Me Home Naturally by Phil Collins to end the episode. So it's still hard when I was thinking about the like the songs I would pick for this second part of the episode. I was like, naturally, it's going to be Phil Collins, Take Me Home. However, after having to listen to that super sexy Windswept by Brian Ferry. That is going to be my top choice. Windswept by Brian Ferry. Second place is going to be Take Me On by Phil Collins. Obviously, number one is still going to be You Belong to the City, but in this case, we're going to push it down because although it did appear in the second part of the episode, I'm going to give this one to Brian Ferry. And finally, let's wrap part two of Prodigal Sun Up with the best decor. I am going to give this to Jimmy's Loft with a huge, giant. Geometric shapes scattered all throughout the loft. His toy collection. It just looked like a lot of fun. And I get that they weren't trying to put any of like his actual magician. I, well, I'm gonna, what language am I speaking here? They weren't trying to integrate any of his actual interests. But they still made him to a very cool, fun character with his apartment. Uh, not exactly what you expect from a reformed drug dealer who is now selling counterfeit and stolen Electronics, but I respect it. It's a very fun apartment. I would have loved, imagine just being a kid and being brought to that apartment with like its own elevator up, and then you get all these like cool geometric half walls and you get all these old school toys to play with. So that's gonna be my winner. But Marv's apartment is like a solid second. It's just like a very cool masculine style that I wasn't expecting from her. And before we head off, I am going to explain and give you a little quick legal minute on grand juries. (laughs) All right, this is going to be more like Elvis's 10 seconds. So the difference between a grand jury and a trial jury is that the grand jury is allowed to see evidence that has been obtained illegally by someone going undercover, by wiretapping phones, versus a trial jury where they can only see evidence that's been selected and approved. So that's the difference, is that, that it tends to be why racketeering cases go to a grand jury as opposed to a trial jury, because most of the evidence is naturally collected illegally. And with that, we're wrapping up the episode. Thank you so much again for listening, for liking, subscribing, for checking me out at Vice and Easy Podcast on Instagram, Vice and Easy Podcast at TikTok, for liking me, giving me five-star reviews on Spotify, Apple, telling your friends, subscribing. It all means a lot to me. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening. And we'll be back next week when we break down Season 2, Episode 3, Whatever Works. And then one more episode for that. And we're going to co- uh, cover Out Where the Buses Don't Run. So I'm really excited for that. I just rewatched a couple of days ago. Thank you all for liking, subscribing, listening and supporting
1: me. And don't forget.
2: Hey, man, Miami Wise is number one new show.